0: Hey everyone, I just want to take 60 seconds and give you our family update. If you don't follow the Savvy Sauce on social media, you may not know that Mark and I had our fourth daughter, Kessler Story, about two months ago. We did sneak the baby announcement into episode 31 when Mark was my co host for an interview we did with Clay Scroggins way back in December. And since her birth, so many of you have sent encouraging messages. You've brought us meals prayed for our family transition, and even sent gifts. So we just want to say a huge thank you to each of you. We are so humbled at the impact of community, and we love you all so much. Also, if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Savvy Sauce, and we would love to continue the conversation with you there after each episode. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. I just want to let you know that there's a portion of this message that contains topics that are not suitable for little ears. Please use discretion when you listen. If you've listened to the Savvy Sauce for long, you know how much I enjoy FabFitFun, which is a seasonal subscription box. I will share more details later in this episode, specifically how you can receive over $200 worth of products for less than $40 just by using the code SAVVY at checkout when you visit FabFitFun.com. Thanks for your sponsorship. Author and speaker Jill Savage joins us today to articulate how we can enjoy the richness of relationships with our friends, our children, and our spouse. She will also share more about her own personal story, including the things that she's so thankful she did as a young wife and mom that have paid great dividends now as an empty nester who is happily married. You don't wanna miss all these practical and fun life applications. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Jill. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. Well, I know that we're going to cover so many topics today, but will you start us off by telling us a bit more about your family and your ministry?
1: Absolutely. I am a mother of five, and I am nana to three, and uh, we live in Normal, Illinois, and we have a lot of fun with that name. You know, our kids went to normal schools, we go to a normal church, and honestly, my life work it's about helping people know what is normal in motherhood, in marriage, in life, and for us to learn to accept what is normal and um, learn how to embrace the imperfect in our life. So I have a real heartbeat, particularly for moms and marriages. Uh, my kids are all grown, and uh, the youngest is 23, and the oldest is 34. So uh, they are all young adults. My husband and I are empty nesters. In fact, I have a new book coming out called "Emptiness Full Life, so I'm really excited about that as well. Bottom line, I minister to moms and marriages. I led the ministry Hearts at Home for 24 years, um, which was an organization that encouraged moms. And then for the last couple of years, my husband and I have launched what we call Jam Savage Ministries, which stands for Jill and Mark Savage Ministries. We do marriage coaching, marriage retreats. I speak at women's events and do a lot of ministry online through the blog and just absolutely love bringing hope and help to moms and marriages.
0: Well, your bio is remarkable, and you've spoken to so many audiences, and I know that one of your popular topics is living with less so your family has more. Will you elaborate on that vision?
1: Yeah, living with less was one of my favorite books. It's no longer in print, but there's lots of used copies out there, <laughs> and it's in the uh, library system as well. But the concept of living with less, your family has more, is that we can live with less stress, less activities, and less money than what is culturally acceptable. And bottom line, living with less so your family has more is about standing up to adult peer pressure. And whether we realize it or not, whether we label it that or not, the truth is we all deal with peer pressure in some way, shape or form. And so that's really what living with less so your family has more is about is learning to do the right thing for your family, regardless of whether it's the popular thing that others are doing.
0: And where do you see our culture having abundant excess currently and what is actually limiting that we might be unaware of?
1: Well, I think that as moms, as parents, we want to give our kids the best. So we want to give them every opportunity. We want to, you know, make sure that they are able to try all the sports and that they have music lessons and All of that, which is important and it's valuable. And our kids do need to find out where their talents lie and have the opportunity to try things. But I think that sometimes what we miss is that sometimes they need time with us, not just time when we are going back and forth to activities. They need white space in their life, you know, in the same way that we can read a book because of the white space around the edges on the margin and behind the words. We need white space in our life. And oftentimes we are just filling, filling, filling our kids' schedules and our own schedules, and that may not actually be what they need. And so we can live with less activities so we can enjoy more quality time. And we can live with less money so that we can enjoy maybe a simpler home environment, one where maybe one parent is at home, and one is working. So sometimes we are only thinking about the things that bring more by doing more. And what we have to realize is when we actually slow down, pare down, we can actually experience more. And sometimes that more is a more in our soul. And that's really what we need to experience as well as our kids.
0: I just think it's fascinating to hear you talk about this because we're hearing so much about the minimalist movement. And do you have any personal stories of how your family executed this idea?
1: Well, you know, one thing, for instance, when our kids were growing up, we didn't have cable television. I mean, a lot of people did, but we didn't. And it came down to money. Uh, We were a one income family. My husband was working full time. I was a stay at home mom. And there were things we wanted to do. Each of our kids could only do one activity. You know, did they want to do more than that? Sure, they did. But when we looked at it and we said, all right, there is the possibility of you being able to do all these activities, there's the possibility of us having cable television, you name it, whatever else we wanted. But in order to do that, I have to go to work. I have to work outside the home. And so when we look at what that will cost us, is that in line with our values? And it wasn't. We had to look at it and go, no, that's not, not a trade-off we want to make. Every family has to decide what's right for them. We could make it in this world on one income. And you know, I love one time I will never forget this and it was an article in our local newspaper and they asked this question. They said, is it really about the high cost of living or is it about the high cost of the way we choose to live? I can remember reading that and that just really stuck with me because I was like, wow, I need that reminder. And I realized, no, we are choosing to live without cable television. We are choosing to live without extra activities that our kids do. Uh, We are choosing to buy clothes at a secondhand store rather than new clothes. But we are choosing to do that because we value that one of us is home, at least during this particular season of our life.
0: And you've published so many books in addition to sending out a newsletter periodically. But in one of those newsletters, I remember you wrote that the typical mom has about 17 minutes a day to herself. And I think you're very accurate. So it leads me into (laughs) another question. Why are you so passionate to help women understand that taking care of themselves is actually taking care of their family?
1: I'll tell you what, anything that I'm passionate about is because of my own journey in that area. And, you know, in the beginning, when my husband and I got married, for us, the stick turned blue at 11 months. And so we obviously had a baby nine months later. So we hadn't even been married two years before we began our family. And of course, what every mom does, you throw yourself into this. And I found myself feeling very overwhelmed with life. I was also going to school full-time at the time. I had this new little baby, really was somewhat newly married. And I really didn't take care of myself. And I found that I was, for a lack of a better word, but, you know, or a better description, I was broken down on the side of the road and somebody had to rescue me and I knew that this was not healthy. I had to figure out something different. And so I began to really explore first, what is my fuel? What fills me up? And honestly, that is as different as every mom out there has a different kind of fuel. And what fuels one mom, it may not fuel her best friend. So we have to know ourselves and identify what our fuel is. As I began to identify that, then I began to realize that I needed to pull up the filling station on a regular basis and that when I did that, yes, it might take time away from my kids. I might need time alone. But when I did that, I was actually able to be a better mom to be a better wife. And so I was then serving my family out of the fullness of my tank instead of trying to serve them on an empty tank. And so that's why I'm so passionate about encouraging moms to identify their fuel and then to be intentional about pulling up to that filling station and to recognize that when you do that, it's not selfish. Self-care is not selfish. It is really a part of your job description of taking care of your family and taking care of your marriage. You first have to take care of yourself so you have something to give to them.
0: How do we know then if we're not getting enough self-care or if we're getting too much? Or do you even think that's possible to get too much?
1: I suppose it's possible. I haven't met very many moms who have too much (laughs) self-care. And I've been in mom ministry for almost 30 years now. So I think I would have met a few along the way. But I think that the first place that we have to look is how are we handling the everyday stuff of life? When milk gets spilled, are we losing it? Or I like to say, are we reacting or are we responding? Are we acting in anger and maybe shame and raised voice? Or are we responding in grace, in kindness, in sensitivity and compassion? And when we pay attention to our reactions, it's a clue. Because the reason we react is most often because our own tank is empty. And we just literally have no gas in the gas tank to handle what just happened. And as you and I both know, anything that we deal with with kids... It is just a constant need to respond. And so I think the first place that we need to recognize, and maybe we have a a red flag that goes up, if our responses are more reactions and uh, we're not happy with who we are in those unexpected moments of motherhood, which there are dozens a day, then that's a clue that we need to be a little bit more intentional about self-care.
0: And do you have any ideas for true self-care? So
1: I think the first thing with self-care is spiritually, we have to make sure we're filling our tank, that we are being intentional about connecting to the God who created us and who designed us to do motherhood with him. I think that is something we all need. The second part of self-care is we need to know what is our own personal temperament. And I would start with extrovert, introvert because an extrovert is refueled by being with people. An introvert is refueled by being alone. And so you need to know which one are you and therefore what fuel do you need? So I didn't understand the introvert extrovert thing for many years. In fact, I thought I was an extrovert. I have pretty good people skills. I'm fine being with people, but I crave being alone. And here I was, a mom of five children, five kids. You're hardly ever alone. I remember when the number four came along, we adopted number five. So this was when number four was a infant. And I remember my husband coming home from work one day. And so as you can imagine, you know, you, you hit number four, you hit number three, and you're outnumbered. And so here's number four, and we're double outnumbered. And I remember saying to my husband, and I was desperate. I said, I want to cut a deal with you. And he was like, a deal? What are you talking about? And I'm like, when you get home from work, I need 30 minutes, 30 minutes in the bedroom by myself. And he was like, okay. I said, I don't know what it is. I just feel like I need a break. And so we began to call that daddy wrestle time the kids. They knew when dad came home, he changed into comfortable clothes. And then the kids had time with him. And I would go in the bedroom, close the door. And I took my Bible with me. And I took the newspaper with me. Because I just felt like I didn't even know what day of the week it was. I didn't know what was going on in the world. I was just so knee deep in taking care of my family. And that little 30 minutes would just fill up my tank enough to get through the evening to get the kids in bed. And then I'd have a couple of hours after the kids were in bed before I went to bed, which would fill up my tank for the next day. So I think that it's really important for us to understand what does fill my tank from an introvert, extrovert perspective. And then beyond that, the question is, what activities do I do that bring me life? You know, what is it that just when I do it, I lose track of time because I just love it. And that may take a little longer for someone to figure out. But I think all three of those, spending time with God, identifying if you're introvert or extrovert, and if you need people or you need quiet. And then what are the activities that bring you life? And then what we have to do is we have to intentionally put those things into our life. We have to schedule appointments on our calendar with ourselves, for ourselves, so that we protect those filling up times so that we can then be good for our family outside of those times. The key is to identify what your fuel is And then make sure that you put it into your life proactively rather than reactively. Because when we try to do it reactively, man, we're on an empty tank and it takes a lot more to fill that tank.
0: Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. Hey friends, I want you all to know that the 2019 FabFitFun Fall Box is now on pre-sale. And in case you've never heard of FabFitFun before, they are a lifestyle subscription box filled with full size, premium beauty, lifestyle, fitness, home, and tech products that are sent straight to your doorstep each season. They totally take the hassle out of shopping by doing it for you and each box is customized to your specific interests. This is such a perk if you have a busy lifestyle and lack the time to research the best brands currently on the market. My experience with a subscription so far is that it feels like a gift each season from a friend who knows my taste well and sends lavish products. The fall box is the perfect way to treat yourself or others and get yourself ready for autumn with their carefully curated box of products. So if you wanna save money on quality, full-size products, visit their website fabfitfun.com today because these deals do not last long. And enter the code SAVVY at checkout to receive $10 off your first box. So again, that's fabfitfun.com, F-A-B-F-I-T-F-U-N.com. And enter the code SAVVY, S-A-V-V-Y, at checkout to get $10 off your first box. This brings the total down to $39.99. I hope you enjoy your subscription as much as I have. Thanks for your sponsorship. Many of our listeners are female and they can probably relate to being overcommitted or stressed out. So what are some strategies that you've found to be most helpful as it relates to stress management?
1: The first one that comes to my mind is learning to say no. And I think as women, we really struggle with this. I think we want to say yes. Um, We desire to please. But I think that there are some very practical ways that we can learn to say no that may be helpful. So let me share a few of those. The first one is never say yes on the spot. Never say yes on the spot. Because... What we need to do is we need to step back and kind of take a deep breath, look at the big picture and identify, can I realistically do what I'm being asked to do? Is this a good time for me? Do I have the margin in my life? So I'll give you a personal example of a time where I had this rule in place and I broke it and I paid for breaking it. I had somebody approach me at church one Sunday and this was just a couple of weeks before the Hearts at Home conference. Now this Hearts at Home conference for those that don't know about it was a big conference. Usually 4,000 to 6,000 moms attend these conferences. I had a message to prepare, I had all kinds of things, you know, I had to get ready for the conference. And this person said, "Hey Jill, you know, Dave and Amanda are Amanda's on bed rest with the twins and we're doing meals and I'm wondering if you could provide a meal for them this Thursday. And I quickly thought about it and I'm like, well, it's a meal and I have to prepare a meal for my family. So why don't I just double it? It's really not a big deal. And I said yes on the spot. So that was Sunday, get through the week and it's Thursday. And I, I have had a lot on my plate. I'm doing all kinds of things to get ready for this conference, but I managed to make a really nice meal for my family. We had, I can even remember it. We had meatloaf and baked potatoes and green beans. And I made these yummy yeast rolls. Like It was way better than the frozen pizza we had the night before. And so we sat down to dinner and my husband was like, oh, Jill, this meal is so good. He's like, is this what you took to Dave and Amanda tonight? And all of a sudden, I was mortified. (gasps) Oh my gosh, is today Thursday? (laughs) I completely forgot it. It completely forgot. I looked at the clock. It was 6.30. I was supposed to have a meal to them at 5. I immediately ran, grabbed my phone, called. Amanda picked up the phone just laughing and she was like, It's okay, Jill. And I'm like, Oh, I should have never said yes because it's two weeks before the conference. I am so sorry. I mean, I'm apologizing up one side, down the other. And bless her heart, she was like, We have leftovers. We have more than enough food. We're fine. I could just kick myself. Had I not said yes on the spot and stepped back and really thought about it, the better answer would have been, Thank you for asking me. This is not a good time for me to add anything else to my plate. If you would ask me again in three weeks, which I knew that they still would need meals at that time, I would be happy to. That would have been a much better response and a a much better way for me to have said no, and it would have ended better for her and it would have ended better for me.
0: What encouragement do you want to offer the listeners as it relates to friendship in all seasons of life?
1: Friendship has been a learning curve for me because I grew up having guy friends, not very many girlfriends. And I was like, fine with that. I found female friendships to be Oh, a little dramatic, a little complicated. And so I found myself very content with a few guy friendships that I had growing up. Got married. Of course, I left many of those friendships behind. We had some couple friends. But when I became a mom, I began to realize that I really did need other women in my life. I needed other women who understood my life, who understood the very things that I struggled with, who maybe were a step ahead of me in one area or another that I could learn from. And so I really had to be intentional about beginning to forge those female friendships. Eventually I wrote a book on that topic along with my daughter Anne came out just a couple of years ago called Better Together because you're not meant to mom alone. And um none of us are meant to mom alone, but let's be honest. Many of us still feel like when we are dealing with friendships, we're dealing with the same feelings we had in junior high. We sometimes feel outside the circle. We have trouble connecting. Uh, We fear rejection. We struggle reaching out. Sometimes that's because of the fear of rejection. Sometimes we just simply don't know how. We've heard in the past. Um, So I think every mom struggles through that. But what we have to learn is that we really aren't designed to do this alone and um, that we need to be intentional about forging those relationships. Now, introvert, extrovert plays into this as well. And I never knew this until several years ago, but extroverts will have a wide circle of friends. Introverts will have just two or three close friends in a very narrow circle. And that's perfectly normal for both. So you need to know which you are and you need to embrace kind of the friendship temperament that you will have as well.
0: You especially illustrated that friendship adds such a sweetness and a richness to life. So do you have any actionable steps we can take today to become a better friend or bravely reach out to connect with others?
1: Well, I would say just do it. Whatever it is, Um, maybe you know someone that is going through a difficult time. You know, maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody in your mom's group. Maybe it's somebody at work. What is one thing that would just lighten their load? Just do it. Maybe it's you need to build your friendship circle. Maybe your friends have moved away. Maybe you've always struggled in this area and it's time for you to pick up the phone and literally say, hey, would you like to meet for coffee? Just do it. Just do it. And yes, are you going to have to find courage to do this? Are you going to have to push through fear, push through rejection? Yes, you might have to. But, you know, in the past eight years, I have walked through breast cancer, I have walked through my husband's infidelity and leaving, eventually coming home and us restoring our marriage, but that was a really dark season. I have walked through a son with severe mental health issues and several suicide attempts. And in all three of those life-shattering situations, it was the women who just simply did it that made all the difference in the world they didn't ask me what i needed they didn't say hey if if you need something just let me know they literally showed up on the doorstep with a casserole or sent a gift card to go get pizza or called from the grocery store and said hey i'm at the grocery is there anything that you need they just did it they didn't ask they just did and i think we can all take that actionable next step in many different situations.
0: Oh, Jill, thank you for sharing your trials with such authenticity. You've been through so much and yet you model freely offering grace. So I'm curious from your experience, has it been harder to forgive the big and obvious transgressions in your family or the smaller daily frustrations in marriage and family life?
1: I think the everyday stuff is is hard. Certainly infidelity is huge, and I, I don't minimize that in any way, shape, or form. And we had nearly two years of healing from that. But it's that everyday live next to each other, bump into each other's imperfect that really causes challenges for most of us. And I would say that's the place where god has really grown me and there's been a softening in my life of handling those everyday things better and with more grace in the past i was characterized by judgment i was characterized by criticism i was characterized by maybe a tone of voice that said a million words that i would never say but my tone said and Most of that kind of stuff comes out in just the everyday stuff of life, not the big things, but the little things that grate against each other all the time. And so I think that while it was really difficult in the big place, and it certainly took a lot of hard work, I think where most of us struggle is just the daily imperfect stuff of life that we deal with all the time. And I think the more we can learn to respond in a kind, grace-filled, compassionate way, the better our relationships will be.
0: Hi friends, you've heard us request that you take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, and I just want to give you a quick explanation of why that is so important. If you have enjoyed the content this far on The Savvy Sauce, this is just a simple way you can express your gratitude, because when you give us a five-star rating and written review, it helps us gain more listeners. Which in turn leads to better guests and more sponsors who make the future of the Savvy Sauce possible. Thank you for taking a moment to help us out so that we can all grow together. All of your books have so much to say about grace, and I'd love to zero in on one topic specifically. How do you recommend that we give grace to our family, even if it's hard or we believe they don't deserve it?
1: You know, the only way we can give grace is if we receive grace. And we receive grace from God who gives it freely. We can't earn it. It is a free gift. And grace is when we get mercy instead of punishment. And I like to say with our family that we need to be giving them grace space. And that is the space to be human. The space to make mistakes and not get raked over the coals for every wrong little thing that they do. You know, an example of this in my own life is my husband loves his coffee. He also manages to drip coffee all over my freshly mopped kitchen floor a lot. (laughs) I used to kind of operate with forgiveness and grace It requires forgiveness, but I would forgive. I would think to myself, okay, Lord, I forgive him for this coffee splotch. I'm going to clean it up. But I would address it with my husband. I would say, hey, babe, could you be more careful when you are, you know, getting your coffee because there's just splotches all over the floor. And I realized several years ago that I was going to change my strategy for responding to his coffee splotches. And I was going to give grace instead. And what that means is, yes, I forgive him each time I clean it up. But I'm choosing that for the rest of my married life, I will serve my husband and clean up his coffee splotches and say nothing. That's what grace space looks like. It's allowing someone to be human and to determine that you're going to live next to their imperfect and you're not going to try to change every imperfect thing about them.
0: You're just refreshingly transparent. And I'm curious, as you reflect back on your years of marriage, what are the things that you're most grateful you did early on that you're seeing the fruit or the blessing of now after many years together?
1: Well, I would definitely say taking time away from the kids, I think, was huge and important. Uh, We learned early on that we needed to be marriage-centered, not child-centered. And in the beginning, we were child-centered, but we learned that lesson the hard way. We ended up in the counselor's office sorting through all kinds of junk. And one of the things we realized is that our kids were coming before our marriage. And honestly, that wasn't doing us any good, and it wasn't doing them any good. I think that that is really, really important that we take time away. And whether that is a -a once-a-week date night or once-every-other-week date night, And maybe a once a year getaway, uh, maybe on your anniversary, I think that it's extremely important. It's important for you as a a parent and as a couple because we need to have fun together. Uh, We need to explore the world together. We, We need to remember who we are outside of being parents. But the second thing is it sets a role model for our kids. And I think that is extremely important that our kids see. That mommies and daddies need to take time for each other. And not only that, but in your kids' world, you are their world. And so if you're okay, then their world is okay. So it provides security for your kids as well.
0: Would they echo that now that they're adults? Are they glad that you and your husband took time away from them to invest in one another?
1: Oh, absolutely. And our oldest daughter even can remember before we did when we were child centered versus marriage centered and she can remember that switch over because she was probably close to 12 at the time that we made that switch over and certainly she she has seen that and she and her husband have carried it forth into their marriage and so they take time and uh, oftentimes we help with kids they trade with other couples they find a sitter they I mean they use all kinds of strategies for child care to make sure that they get some time with each other.
0: When you're in the middle of parenting, you may be blinded that your family is actually very child-centered. So are there any red flags or identifiers?
1: Well, I would say one is, particularly uh, us moms, we can you know easily look at our husbands and go, hey, you can dress yourself, you can feed yourself, quite frankly, you can take care of yourself in the bathroom. Everybody else needs me. You're on your own, buddy. And, you know, we don't want to do that. But oftentimes, a desperate mom who is just exhausted so easily goes there. And that would be a red flag if you've thought about that. That, hey, these kids need me. You're a big boy. Take care of yourself. That's a red flag. That's not healthy thinking. And another red flag would be, you know, I don't want to leave the kids being fearful of actually leaving the kids because really you're putting your kids before uh, your marriage and in order to have time for just the two of you you have to be willing to leave them of course when they're little and they're nursing or you know something like that you may have to you may have shorter date nights but they're still very important to have so i think a lot of times it comes down to the thinking that we have sometimes it can even be about physical intimacy in marriage like if it's just one more thing on the to-do list that is a clue a that you probably need some refueling self-care time b that you've really forgotten the importance of both emotional and physical intimacy and that would probably be the the other piece that i think would be a red flag is if all you're talking about is diapers and dishes That is a clue that things are getting real surface. So one of the things my husband and I created several years ago is something called No More Perfect Date Night. It's actually a membership site for couples. It's a club for your marriage where we give couples something to watch together. It's usually just anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes in length. Um, it might be an interview with a marriage expert, or it might be taking a topic and talking about it for 10 minutes, and then discussion questions to go deeper. Because what often happens is we just get talking about the dailiness of life, and we stop talking about our feelings and our dreams and our hopes and our fears and our struggles. And so we need to keep that going even when life becomes very daily, because that is what human connection is all about.
0: Do you have any practical strategies that you implemented to keep your marriage a higher priority than your parenting?
1: Well, definitely. I think date night was sacred. We did not have family around and we didn't have money to hire a sitter. So the only thing we could do is find other couples to trade with. And so like, we would trade every Friday night. There was one couple we traded with and our date nights would go from Friday night to Saturday at noon. So it included an overnight. And so it, it was making those sacred and, and saying nothing unless, you know, there's some, some requirement for your job or some, somebody sick or something like that. Friday nights were sacred and we either were watching our friends, kids Which honestly gave us great time because our kids played well together, even if their kids were at our house or our kids were at their house and we were having time, just the two of us. So I would say that was a huge piece. And then asking each other questions that went deeper than how was your day? Um, We might say, how can I pray for you? What was the best thing that happened today? What was the hardest thing that happened today? Those require just a little bit deeper conversation and they help us stay connected to what's happening in each of our individual worlds. And when we started asking questions like that, it really began to make a difference for us in the depth of our relationship.
0: Will you give us an overview of some of the resources that you've published and then direct listeners where they can connect with you online?
1: Absolutely. The best place to connect with me online is at jillsavage.org. That's where you're going to find my blog. It's where you're going to find my books, the books that we talked about today, living with less so your family has more. We got into a little bit of the No More Perfect Moms book and the No More Perfect Marriages book um, that we have as well. And if couples are looking to take date night to a new level or to take their marriage to a new place and deepen their conversations, we encourage them to become a no more perfect date night member. And if somebody is listening to this, we'll even offer a special just for you, uh, your listeners. If they uh, use the coupon code seminar, and that would be S E M I N A R, they can get $5 off a month for no more perfect date night. And so uh, we would love to have them. They can go to dot com to learn more about that. If registration is closed for date night, have them connect with me through um, my website and we will make sure that they get
0: in. We will link to all of those websites and resources in the show notes. And our listeners know that we're called the savvy sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or discernment. And so, Jill, I have one final question for you today. What is your savvy sauce?
1: Uh, I was thinking about it as it relates to friendship when we were talking about friendship. And it is a, a phrase that I say to myself. All the time when I am tempted to compare feel less than or in some case we feel better than if we see somebody that doesn't look like they've got their act together, but it is um, the phrase she has a backstory I don 't know, and whether it's the woman standing in front of you in the checkout line of the grocery store or a mom that you're looking at across the room at your child's school or somebody that you see at church every Sunday, uh, we don't know their stuff. We don't know what they're carrying. And I think it's fair to say that all of us are hurting in some way, shape or form in some part of our life, much of the time. You know, I I once heard somebody say that 95% of life is hard. If you're in that 5%, great, enjoy it. But 95% is hard. When I say that to myself, she has a backstory. I don't know. It pulls me back from the ledge of comparison and plants me on the firm foundation of reality. And that is a gift I give to myself. It's a gift I give to others as well.
0: Jill, thank you so much for being vulnerable. Your humility just has a way of pointing us back to God, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news and I want to share the best news with you, but it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin, therefore we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. And see Jesus we can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us Romans 10 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved so would you pray with me now Heavenly Father thank you for sending Jesus to take our place I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone, say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes and Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community, that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says,